Welcome to another edition of Ecumenical Musings, where we look at developments in ecumenism within Australia and other parts of the world. I'm Richard Tewton, and it's a pleasure to be with you once more. In this episode, our focus is on something that many people feel they cannot be without. For some, it's a dominant aspect of their lives, while others are content to refer to it whenever they get round to it. It is something that affects people of different age groups in very diverse ways. I am referring to social media that has, over the past few years, come to be a significant aspect of people's lives throughout the world. Social media has proved to be very useful during the COVID pandemic. Churches would have found it very difficult to reach their lockdown members if it was not so freely available. Worship services, discussion and Bible study groups and meetings have all been able to be done and held within the various forms of social media, particularly Facebook. This has been a positive side to social media's face that is shown to the world. This face has been greatly appreciated and will continue to play a part in church life, even as restrictions are relaxed. Church members are finding it very convenient and reassuring to just tune in to their local congregation's worship services without leaving the security of their homes. Social media, though, has a dark side, a very dark side. People have had their lives turned upside down because of something that has been said about them on social media. Often the information is not true, but this false information has a habit of getting out of control because so many people can see it and react to what has been uploaded and published. Vilification by social media has brought people to the edge of their mental capabilities. Some have tragically ended their lives as a result of what they've had to put up with through the efforts of trolls who make it their business to think up the nastiest comments with the aim of making other people's lives a misery. As a result, many Christians have questioned the idea that churches should actively use social media as a means of spreading their message and information. This questioning comes at a time when many governments around the world are actively discussing the need to have controls in place to prevent social media from broadcasting messages and content that actively seek to destroy people's lives or that promotes ideas and thoughts that may influence people to take violent action on a particular issue. The Australian government is conducting a Senate inquiry about how owners of the various forms of social media should take responsibility for the messages and programming that are uploaded on their platforms. The response from the social media industry has been mixed to say the least. After all, in order for users to access social media for free, there is a dependence on advertising to create an income and profit margin that grows the business of having Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and countless other forms of the industry. Another element that is actively being canvassed is the desire to have individual users take responsibility for the comments they make. Users should be able to be identified instead of being able to hide behind pseudonyms that have no means of being traced back to who created them. Twitter has come out against the mandatory identification of account holders. Its owners claim that Twitter's attraction to users is the ability to allow them to use handles that mask their true identity 
while they make their comments and put forward ideas. That approach is still being debated that will no doubt go on for some time. There still remains the question of the church's place in these various forms of media. Coupled with the decisions of individual churches, congregations, parishes and organisations, is the way in which the ecumenical world can use and does use social media as part of its life and mission. Just as many churches, parishes, congregations, schools and organisations have their own Facebook page, Twitter accounts and dabble in other media such as TikTok, Pinterest and Instagram, so many ecumenical councils and organisations also have their own pages and accounts on the same forms of media. In fact, we can often get more information on a particular organisation or congregation on their social media platforms than on their traditional website pages. No doubt it is easier to update one form of media than to keep them all updated at the same time. About eight years ago, I presented a paper to an international receptive ecumenism conference on ways of communicating receptive ecumenism through the use of networks. This included using social media as one form of networking. At the time, receptive ecumenism was just getting off the ground in many parts of the world. While discussing more traditional networks mainly centred on face-to-face -face encounters was well received, the use of social media was criticised by some as being a bridge too far. No one at that time could foresee what was going to happen in the future. COVID-19, of course, was not on the horizon, let alone being the reality it is today. The main reason for discussing the use of more diverse forms of networking in my paper stem from the desire to overcome what many writers have called the ecumenical winter. Ecumenism had, to a certain extent, lost its momentum compared to the heady days immediately after the Second World War and into the 50s and 60s. New ways of doing ecumenism were being touted and networking through the use of social media was one of them. Things are very different today. Social media is being used as a major form of communication, despite its dark side. Ecumenism, along with its constituent members, needs to continually look at itself. Paul Avis, in his book Reshaping Ecumenical Theology, The World Made Whole, rightfully said that ecumenism is right for reform. The main issue has been about how it should be done. It is one thing to use a form of media because necessity demands it. It is another, I believe, to do something without an adequate theological basis that underpins the work or direction. After all, what is networking or social media for that matter when it comes to being used in its different ways? From the church perspective, especially in the parish or congregational settings, it is a means by which members can keep in touch with the central entity and with each other. The broadcasting of church services, for example, is not new. It has been done since broadcasters were initially being made, first via radio and in later times through the medium of television. It was adequate, but very general in its approach. After all, people were watching or listening in different places where the signal could be received. It was not a personal approach where someone could see a service or hear a sermon from their local scene, unless, of course, the broadcast happened to be emanating from the town or city in which they lived. This, of course, happened from time to time. 
It was good for the era, but new media forms have shown us a new way. It was interesting to recently read via the World Council of Churches Facebook page, a blog written by the Reverend Dr. Kenneth Matata, General Secretary of the Zimbabwe Council of Churches. Dr. Matata wrote his blog under the title, Why Theology Must Occupy Social Media. He sees five imperatives for theologians, prophetic, pastoral and priestly, to occupy the social media space, which he said is dominated by politics, or as he calls it, politics, business, including profiteers, entertainers, including artists and sports, economists, lawyers, etc. It is worth looking at these imperatives in detail because they give some direction to theologians who wish or may wish to further de develop their communication skills in this area. The first is missional. Dr. Matata says that the fact that mission was used to colonize and dominate is no excuse to disregard its importance and urgency. The content of this mission imperative's message is an invitation to people to participate in a reconciliation and justice agenda deriving from a divine source. The second imperative is motivational. Social media, says Dr. Matata, is shaping the political sphere just as did newspapers, radio and television in the past. The current driving forces shaped by other fields such as politics and business tend to be competition, conflict and conformity. There is a need, he says, for alternative driving forces for the common good, solidarity and cooperation, which are inherent in good theology. Dr. Pantata moves on to the third imperative, which is meaning-making. Social media, he says, is shaping what it means to be human. Theology provides richer resources, together with philosophy, to shaping what he calls Ubuntu, which is the belief in a universal bond of sharing, that connects all humanity. For Dr. Matata, the fourth imperative is moral or ethical. Social media, he says, is too precious a tool to be left to humans alone. The God language must also shape the collective sense of what is right and wrong, not in an imposing way, but in a critical and dialogical way. The fifth imperative is movement building. Social media, says Dr. Matata, has become a tool for building movements. Such movements are personality cults and life-denying ideologies. But theology has been pursuing inclusive, abundant life, peace and justice for ages. With these imperatives in mind, Dr. Matata firmly believes that theology must occupy the social media space. From the way in which I've looked at Dr. Matata's material on theology and social media, you may gain the impression that I agree with what he has said. For me, the idea that theologians should be in the social media space is important. It offers support and encouragement to those churches, congregations, parishes, organisations and individual Christians who are already there and are using social media as a means of reaching out, especially during the COVID pandemic. Dr. Matata and others like him see social media in a serious way and as a serious means of communication. Often we have treated social media with a light touch. This has led to the exploitation and trolling that have affected people's lives so strongly. 
it has been used as a tool to cause businesses to close and fire people whose beliefs don't square with the so-called majority who are on social media. It has become in many ways a thing to fear rather than a positive means to reach different people. As the ecumenical world grapples with the many challenges of today, the direction offered by Dr. Matata and other theologians towards a more constructive approach to topics and issues on social media is both important and timely. This does not or is intended to denigrate the good and positive things that have already been done through social media. The more support and encouragement to these endeavours that can be given, the better. It would help if churches and ecumenical organisations were able to develop firm policies in the way they use and approach social media. This would assist in the provision of a firm basis from which to continue leaping into the ever-changing world that social media has become. It is worth, especially while the pandemic causes us all to flex in so many different directions at short notice, building firm foundations that enable a cohesive approach to the use of social media by churches and the ecumenical movement. The imperatives that Dr Matata has offered is a start in that direction. Thanks for listening to this edition of Ecumenical Musings. You may not agree with everything I have mused on, but I hope it has given you more food for thought on this important topic. I'm Richard Tewton, and I look forward to your company on another occasion.